Good morning, everybody. I love being with church family. Um, and Minda referenced just now, we go, we're going on a prayer walk this particular Thursday. Um, we do have these kinds of gatherings on Sunday, which is maybe the more traditional form, format of what people think of when they think of as church. Um, but how many of you know we are in a building? This building is not a church, right? The church is you and me. So when we leave this building today and we go and Rebecca goes out and, and connects with Chris's sister, she is the church. Yeah. We happen to meet in specific areas for the practicality of doing the things that church is called to do together. One of those things is being trained and equipped by the Word of God, which we do in these formats, and another is uh, building community, and we do that by texting each other through the week, by, by calling each other, by doing stuff, by, Deborah walks by, she lives in the same building that we do, and so we, we converse throughout the week. We probably are due to have you over for dinner again sometime soon, we, we, uh, but we also have what we call community group, and um, so highly encourage you guys to be a part of community group. We meet periodically just to be building relationship, and there are things that we do as church in that environment that you cannot do in this environment, just for practicality's sake. Relationship and church family, that's what church is. So let's go into, um, I actually need to make an announcement before we get into Ephesians chapter 5. You can, pretending that somebody actually has a hard copy Bible in here, I'd say you can open up to Ephesians 5, but there's, okay, we've got, we've got one who has a, a hard copy. You can open up your phones to Ephesians 5, um, but I do want to say this. We have an upcoming leaders training, and um, so Hebrews chapter 5, you don't need to flip there right now, but just listen to this. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, say milk, milk. not solid food, say solid food. So we've got so milk and solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being in, still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish from good and evil. In our maturity, with our walk with God, we go from a place of just like natural maturity, where you're held by a mother and you're drinking milk from her breast, if I can just be explicit, there's a nurturing, there's a something where somebody else is doing everything for us and we're receiving just that comfort, that love, that nurture, and as you physically grow up naturally, your body begins to ingest things like solid food and ultimately like meat, right? Well, the same thing in the spirit maturity, spiritual maturity, is that we develop to where we're less and less needing, con you'll never not need encouragement from the Lord, by the way. You'll never mature beyond that, but you do mature to a place where you're giving. Your life becomes about giving. And I'm not saying that you can't begin giving the day, by the way, Nanette, that you receive Jesus, you can begin giving now. But in your maturity, it becomes more and more about others and less and less about you. More about God, more about others, less and less about you. We're going to do a leadership training, and, I just, and that's going to be August the 11th, and I just want to touch on that. It is to provide for those who are wanting to go beyond just kind of the norm, and you're wanting to live on another level of purpose and mission, and you're willing to be challenged, not just encouraged and nurtured, challenged to go, to go further. Not like you're going to get beat over the head, but just challenged towards maturity. We all need that. If you're wanting that, then I would say this is probably for you. What is it? It's training to become a rebuilder of ruins, as you see in Isaiah 61. The gospel goes to the poor, and ultimately the poor become the rebuilders of ruins. If you're wanting to go beyond just getting out of spiritual poverty, and you, you always want to be spiritually poor, but you of going into a place where you're a rebuilder of ruins, living on mission, this is for you. So it's going to be solid food, so to speak. It's not just going to be teaching. It's going to be engaging, but there is going to be a teaching component. It's going to be training in living on mission. It's going to be training on making disciples. It's going to be training on leadership and authority and how those things work in the kingdom of heaven. 
and in the church. It's going to be, in, having said that, it's going to be training on deacons and, and elders, how, how those things work in the scriptures and how they're to work in the church. It is going to be training in how you can live your life to help carry what your local church, if this is your local church, help carry what this church is called to do and be more of a central part of that. So that'll be August 11th. This is not an invitation to a leadership position. If you're wanting or needing in your soul leadership position, hit pause and get to where you don't need that. There's not an invitation to that. But at the same time, other, there will inevitably be more and more people coming into roles of leadership and, and authority, um, not by going up, but by going low before Jesus. Um, and this will be a, a, a part of the pathway towards that. August 11th, that's three weeks from today, all the deacons and elders will be there, and um, that'll be directly after the service. We'll eat lunch, and then we'll do that thing. Anyone is invited. Yes, anyone. Anyone. Your only, your only prerequisite is that you feel like this could be your church home, and you're, you're, you want to you wanna, you wanna take it further. So, yeah. Good? Um, let's go into Ephesians 5, I think, and we're going to pray before we before we do that. I do just want to say while I'm thinking about it, speaking of deacons and elders, one of the pastors in the church, one of the elders in the church, Rodney Lloyd, um, many of you would know the story already, but I want to make sure it's announced that he had his surgery this week. The tumor has been removed. There is no cancer in his body. There's no need for chemo, no need for radiation or anything like that. Um, he is, he, there was a difficult season, but he is on his way up. He's back home out of the hospital. And uh, he's recuperating, so Rodney and Nita will be back soon. I can't guarantee when, but it'll be soon. And we will have Rodney 2.0, is what we keep on saying. New and improved. The ankle's better. The kidneys are better. The bladder is better. His tumor is removed. It's, it's Rodney 2.0. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we honor you. You said to Mary and Martha that sitting at your feet... And hearing your word is more important than all the stuff that we may be doing for you. That first we actually just need to be with you and to hear you. So this morning as we open up your word, we are audaciously asking Jesus that you would open up our ears to hear what you're saying. That the eyes of our hearts would see into the things of the kingdom. You said that if we're born again, we can see the kingdom of heaven. And we ask you for a spirit of revelation this morning that we would see our, our, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened and that we would walk in the things that we see. Establish biblical family patterned after your kingdom here in the earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So cool. So we've been looking at this idea, we've kind of used the illustration of if this room represented the will of God and that chandelier represented God, then we want, we want to, as believers, as followers of God, we certainly want to be staying within the room, but in a sense, there's the, the more we know him, the more we actually don't just want to stay somewhere in the will of God, we actually want to beeline to be right under that chandelier as much as possible and be in the center of his will, listening to what he's saying, following him, putting all of our trust more and more into him as he leads us through our lives. And uh, so we talked about the, the fear of the Lord and the good, pure fear of the Lord, but also the goodness of God, that the more we understand how good he is, the more we want his will because we trust him more than anything else. And then we've moved from Ephesians 4 and uh, last week we got, as I said earlier, into some things about kind of how we should live, what it looks like, almost even morally, how we are to walk this life out in a way that reflects the kingdom of heaven. And we're not talking about how we can do good as good Christians. We're painting a clear picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like because there are so many voices in this world that get us to think another way other than the kingdom of heaven. There are voices about sexuality. There are voices that, that about, you name it. And we need the scriptures to give us a light to our feet, a lamp to our 
a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, to cause us to see God in his ways so that as followers of him, we can walk in his ways. And so this week, we're going to be talking about biblical family at a marriage level, establishing God's intent of how marriage uh, between a uh, husband and a wife, how, how that is to operate. That is huge. And I said earlier during our, our uh, what, what's this? You're painting. <laughs> Good. So this is huge. And my friends, we as a church have a heart to see. I said, yeah, we, I am. So we have a heart to see rebuilding of ruins. That's what the ministry of Jesus does. He takes brokenness and he doesn't just fix it. He causes that which is fixed to then go out and fix others. And for that to happen in this city, so much of the brokenness that exists, of the tremendous amount of brokenness that exists in this city is rooted in a broken, shattered concept of family. There is something about growing up in a healthy family where mom and dad are healthy that produces healthy children. And my heart, and I believe more importantly, Jesus' heart yearns to go into those broken places where there are literally people who have grown up in a shattered, broken family, and that, and, and, and that shattered, broken family produced more broken, shattered families, and now we've got multiple generations where the idea of a healthy, biblical marriage is lost. And if we want to see rebuilding in the city, it is rebuilding families. And so let's look at that, starting in verse 21 of chapter 5. And we're actually going to start in an unexpected comment. Ephesians, yeah, chapter 5, starting in verse 21. We ended in uh, verse 20 last week. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before we even get into husband and wife... Paul is opening up a new idea with this comment here to talk about relationships. Where he then goes from there to talk about relationships between a wife and a husband, between a husband and a wife, between children and the parents. He goes on to talk about what he says is slaves and their masters, which today would basically mean employees with their employers. He talks about all these different types of relationships that are essentially common to all people and it begins with this comment in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I've already warned you last week, we're talking about stuff that is not popular. It's not going to win us any popularity contest. I would way rather preach the unadulterated word of God to us that what is established in this church would be the kingdom and not just our ideas, even if it does rub some, step on some toes and ruffle feathers or whatnot. Submission is not a popular concept in our modern day time. And can I say, as somebody who's lived in various nations of the earth, let me say, to Americans, the idea of being submitted is almost an antithesis to our American culture. The declaration of independence. Now I get it that England had been a very poor and wrong, bad authority. I get it. I'm not saying anything against our nation in that sense, but I am saying that that can go to an extreme where we lose a kingdom value of being submitted. Do I have everybody squirming in the chair yet? Now, I get submission is a difficult concept because it means people can take advantage of you. It can mean that I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position. I would say this, in the kingdom of heaven, you are more vulnerable being submitted nowhere than being submitted to a fallible human being because it's the way of the Lord. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. What does uh, this word submit actually mean? You can't argue this, by the way. You can't argue it's the Bible. Submit to one another. We have to start on that, on that premise that the scripture is clearly telling us that there should be some level of submission in our lives somewhere. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does submit mean? That original word, it means to obey, to become subordinate, to become subject. Now, in times past, let me just make it clear for the sake of, of, of uh, 
communication, there have been abuses historically in the body of Christ where people have taught the premise of submission and gotten into crazy weird discipleship things where people can't buy groceries without getting approval from somebody and weird controlling stuff. This is not what we're talking about. We are talking about I'm submitted to Jesus, but I know that I am fallible. I know that in my heart, I can think I know the right thing, but I can be wrong, and therefore, I voluntarily make myself accountable to people that I know the Lord has put in my life for my good. And I don't want to move on major decisions without having somebody speaking in, God will cause there to be agreement for those things. Do you know that the Apostle Paul did not launch into his apostolic career that all of us celebrate and read all of his letters? He did not launch into that until the Holy Spirit said, not just to Paul, to a group around Paul to whom he was submitted, the Holy Spirit is saying, now separate from me Paul and Barnabas to the work that I've called them to do. In other words, it wasn't just, you follow what I'm saying? So submission. We have everybody, this is the basic basis for kingdom relationships is that we all need to be submitted somewhere. So the scriptures we're going to read in a few minutes, wives are to submit themselves to husbands. Husbands implicit in the scripture should be submitted somewhere in the body of Christ, am I right? Wives are put in a vulnerable position if they're submitted to a man who's a Christian but isn't submitted anywhere. I would say this is a rule of thumb, never submit yourself to somebody who's not submitted to somebody. We are accountable to members of the NCMI apostolic team. We, I'm referring to my wife and I, as well as the other pastoral couple in this church, Rodney and Nita, we're submitted, we're accountable. We make no major decisions, not only in, as a church, in our own lives, without, without just taking that effort of, hey, how does this look? Does this seem right to you? Would you pray about this with us? Tell us what you're feeling. We don't do that without getting, why? Because we're accountable, out of reverence for Christ. I know I didn't finish my sentence, but hopefully you understood what I was trying to say there. So, so it's the husbands need to have somebody that's submitted to other believe, believers. Children are to be accountable or submitted to their parents. There is no room in the kingdom of heaven for lone rangers. Right? Submit to one another. There's right there. There's. And can I say, by the way, I, I, I know I'm getting off track a little bit, but even the people that we are accountable to on that NCMI team, the New Covenant Ministries International team, they are all accountable. Tyron Daniel, who leads the team, is not some neo-quasi-pope of the team. He's accountable to an eldership team in a church that he's planted in and doesn't lead, and he's got several other eight individuals on the NCMI team that calls his life team that he regularly meets with to do the exact same thing. Everybody has somebody speaking into their life. What is the call of the church? To make disciples of all nations. Implicit in that call is that every person is being discipled as well as discipling, right? And it is arrogant, if not hypocritical, of me to go and make disciples and yet no one speaks into my life. Like I'm called to speak into other people's lives but no one speaks into my life. That's arrogant, that is pride. We all need to be receiving. We all need to be giving. It's not one or the other. It's always both and. So, <clears throat> I could say this. Uh, back in two, the year 2000, my wife and I, we were in a church. Um, some of you may or may not know this, but sometimes in church, things don't go well. There's stuff that goes down in church sometimes. Uh, and not in a good way. And a church that we were a part of, as, as wonderful it was, as it was in some ways, this thing that I'm talking about right now was not good at it. The, it was like a spiritual Lone Ranger church. There was no actual translocal somebody from outside of the church speaking into the life of the church or the, the, the leadership team weren't really accountable to anything beyond itself. And uh, stuff went haywire, and when stuff went haywire, there's no one from the outside to kind of help the situation, and so just bad stuff went down. Anybody ever seen that happen in church with that? So, good. It happens. Um, but that taught us that this is not the way for the church, and it was right at that time 
that we came into, God sovereignly brought in a relationship right before all that stuff happened, brought us into relationship with another church, another ministry that had this stuff that we're talking about of godly biblical relationships and being accountable and how authority works in the, in the body of Christ in a healthy way, had that like as one of the things that they were strong at. And it was amazing that right at the time that we saw the error of having none of that, God brought in those who were strong in it, and we knew that we were supposed to be planted there uh, in that church, and so we went over there, and the whole idea of us going to that church was that we were going to be raised and trained for our calling. So it was in a small town in Georgia called Dublin, Georgia, and um, we knew that we were going there to pass through, not necessarily to be there. And the, the conversation with the leadership was, well, you'll probably be for 18 to 36 months, and we'll probably release you to go plant a church somewhere. And I've told some of the story before, 18 to 36 months went by, and there was none of that happening. And uh, we were determined we are not going to leave that place without it being confirmed by those that God has given to be leaders in our lives. Minda started feeling a desire for something having to do with South Africa. Many of you know we lived in South Africa later for nine years. God called us to that place. So this was not some evil desire in her heart. It was something of God's legitimate call rising up, desires that he gave rising up within her. And we went to the eldership team and we submitted to them what we were feeling. And this could be a door opening up and they just didn't feel good about the timing and just didn't seem right. And so there was a little bit of a tail between our, our legs as we walked away, but we were determined if this is God, God is big enough to move on their hearts that everyone will feel agreement with it. A couple years later, I guess, maybe a year later, I started feeling something. And my thing wasn't for South Africa. My thing was I felt like God was calling us to plant a church. Well, how many of you know that's also a legitimate part of our call? It wasn't some evil desire in my heart. It was who I am. I'm called to plant churches. And this desire came up, and I felt like it was a God thing, and I went to the eldership, and we again said, if it's God, we know that the eldership, they'll, they'll witness with it. They know us. They they're spiritual, and we submit it, and they said, we just don't feel right about the time. We were struggling financially. The stuff we were involved with in ministry was kind of like phasing out. We had no idea. Why are we still here? It's like five years. We hate living in this city. We don't see how we're moving forward in our call. What are we here for? And it was just shortly after that that we were invited to come onto a full-time pastoral role where our training went on into steroid level. That's probably a horrible uh, illustration, but just roll with it. In that same church, full-time pastoral role, training went to another level, so much incredible experience, two years there uh, in that role. And then we took a mission trip to South Africa. And while there, I felt the Lord move on my heart. We're supposed to move here. And we went back to, and some doors opened up and all these kinds of things for us to be able to have employment to move there and housing and visa and all that kind of stuff. We went back, and this is the third time that we're feeling compelled to go to the eldership team to submit to them what we're feeling. And by that time, you, 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 you go in sheepishly, kind of. But I, I came in feeling strongly, I, I feel God has put this on our heart. This is, and so I, I, but again, we laid it uh, and said, you know, how do you feel? Would you pray about this? And the response was, we believe 110% that this is God. We are with you in faith. We are backing you. We want to support this. I'm telling you, if we had just jumped ship those two times I expressed previously and done our thing that was birthed out of a legitimate part of what we're called to do, we're called to the nations, we're called to church, church plant, we would have not had a certain degree of the blessing of heaven that was upon, has God sovereignly, it seemed, rolled the red carpet out for us in South Africa, opening up doors, making connections, causing us to walk into something that he had planned for us in an amazing way. It comes from agreement. And that is the issue that we're getting at, agreement. Now, I know we've invested a lot of time. You're still wondering when are we going to get to husbands and wives? We're going to get there. But let's start here. We all need input in agreement with people that God sets you with is for your good and for my good, not for other people to control us. Cool? 
So having said that, it's out of reverence for Christ. It's not out of reverence for the person that you submit yourself to. It's reverent. It is. I mean, there's an element of that, but it's reverencing Christ. What does submitting to somebody else have to do with reverencing Christ? It's reverencing Christ because Christ is the one who calls us to be accountable. It's following his ways and not doing whatever we want to do and being a law unto ourselves. So we make ourselves accountability and submission. They only work when we do it from obedience to Jesus. And we cannot be fully submitted to Jesus without being accountable and submitted somewhere in his body. It does not work. And we have seen so much pain and hurt and destruction in the church over that one thing. People who are called, who are anointed of God, but are accountable nowhere, and it leads to shipwreck for them and everyone who follows with them. I'm through with that. No more. And praise God, the, the team that we work with, I haven't seen one case of that in the, how long have we been partnering? Nine, ten years? Not one case, because we're in a culture, a community of people who understand this thing, of being accountable in a healthy, not controlling, a healthy way. All right, let's move on. Wives with their husbands. Are you ready? Verse 22. And it's, we're, we're only covering over the highlights here. We're not going to, I mean, there's so much that you could say about marriage. We're not going to be able to delve fully into it. But verse 22, let's, let's just cover what Paul says here in Ephesians 5. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, before you husbands in the room uh, start jumping up and down, saying, wife, you should submit to me, we need to clearly identify what the context is here. And by the way, because not everyone in here is married, let me just say, for what we're talking about right now, for married people, if you are married, this is going to strengthen you in your role and give you a stronger marriage. If you're single you may get married in the days to come. And this is going to help shape your thinking and prepare your mindset for what that looks like in God's plan. But if you're married or single or whatever, everyone in here, all of us can help to encourage a biblical culture of biblical marriage within the context of the church that we can become, as a church, a beacon of light to those who have never seen biblical family in operation. So in, in, in your discipling of other people who may be married, you can help encourage people towards what the scriptures say and not just to whatever the voices of the world say. So having said that, um, the, the, what we see in what Paul just said there, verses 22 through 24, is a perfect foil. The wife has a role in a relationship with her husband. The husband has a role in a relationship with her, with her wife. Things when the husband does what he needs to be doing with the wife, it makes her e easier for her to do what she's supposed to do towards him. Con in the same way, when the wife is doing towards the husband what she's supposed to be doing, it makes it easy for the husband to do what he's supposed to be and do for the wife. It's the perfect foil. If neither of them will do what they're supposed to do, this happens. Now, I know you've never seen that in a marriage before. We've never had that. We've just had halos the whole time. It's wonderful. One party has to be the one to take the first step and do what they're supposed to do regardless if the other is going to do what they're supposed to do. And men, let me say this, leadership is going first. So it would be more fitting for the leader, the head of that relationship, to be the one to do what they're supposed to do first and to create the atmosphere in which it is easiest for the wife to do her role, just like Jesus, correct me if I'm wrong, was the one to go first. He went to the cross and died for his bride first so that, being smitten by that love, she would come into obedience to him voluntarily, knowing I'm in a safe place. Huskies? So what? Hun, don't do that to me in the middle of a preach. I don't even know what you're saying to me. 
So the per, yes. I don't know what you're saying. Anyways, yes, it's the perfect foil. Okay. We're going to tag team. And because we have such a good marriage, I know that he doesn't mind me doing this. I'm not sure if she's submitting to her husband right Because the now. perfect foil, the perfect foil makes more sense if you go ahead and read verse 25. That's the perfect foil, right? I don't know. The love and then the submission. Because when we teach on marriage together, we always teach how the wife is to submit, the husband is to love. Women want to be loved. And it's as the husband loves that she submits. Men want to be acknowledged. Men want to lead. They're designed to lead. And so it's as the woman loves, as I love Paul, he can lead me. Does that make sense? That's the perfect foil, the love and the submission. Yes. Okay. I I do apologize if I didn't make that clear enough. Okay. So husband and wife relationship is to be a picture of Christ in the church. It says, submit as you do to the Lord. The idea is that the role of the church should be submitting to the Lord. I know that there are exceptions that we don't always perfectly submit to the Lord, but the idea is anyone who knows Jesus and has received him, you know him to be Lord. He's, your, he's the one that you follow, and in, in committing to him, that's a picture of how wives are to relate to their husbands. The, the idea is that the husband must lead for the wife to submit. How can you submit yourself to something that isn't actually going anywhere? You gotta be leading. And so, just as a, as a picture, remember that story I said about when we were going to South Africa and there was that whole journey that, that so before we went on that mission trip to South Africa where God put it on my heart, he's calling us to South Africa. About a year before that, Minda, or her mom, started to have, who's very, God speaks to her in amazing ways, her mom started to have a dream about us getting divorced. And so she called us and said, is there, is there something wrong? I just wanted to let you know, I've had a dream, you guys got divorced, just want to make sure, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. And then she called again, maybe a week or two later, Minda, and, and her mom says, look, I've just got to tell you, I had another dream you guys were getting divorced. I just want to make sure, is everything okay? Mom, I, everything is okay. Like we're, I mean, you know, every once in a while we may have a minor tiff or something, but nothing abnormal, everything's fine. And then I think it was the third time, her mom said, look, I've had a third dream that you guys were getting divorced, is everything okay? And in that moment, she realized in her heart, she had been pushing an agenda in our relationship where she, in the will of God had been feeling a desire for South Africa. And I wasn't feeling it. And she was trying to kind of push this agenda to get me to see how God was calling us to South Africa. And I wasn't seeing it. And when, she, when that third time came, she realized, I'm divorcing from Paul in the sense of I'm, I'm not following his leadership. I'm trying to get him to do my thing. And she repented and laid it at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, if you want this to happen, then you, you put it on Paul's heart and I'll follow the husband that you gave me. Yeah. Now, we went to South Africa on a mission trip. I'm not expecting God to move on my heart to move to South Africa. I'm a kid from Atlanta and I've heard of Nelson Mandela at some point. I don't know. Was, I just felt a stirring about South Africa and felt like, God, there was something in it. And we, we went on this trip without Minda even touching it with a 10-foot pole. Hadn't said anything, hadn't dropped hints, hadn't, she had, she left that thing at the altar. Jesus, it's yours. If you want to do something, you'll tell Paul. I, I didn't hear anything, but I can remember in Johannesburg, I was reading a scripture. Maybe you've heard of it, Isaiah 61. And I read this thing, and my heart became ignited with the knowledge that this gospel to the poor, God is calling our family to this nation, South Africa, where, where we were at that moment in Johannesburg, uh, to preach the gospel to the poor. And I became consumed with just this overwhelming sense that we are supposed to be here. It's like God made it sovereignly, made it in my heart to become our home, some nation that I had never been to. And it felt like this is, this is my home. Went back, what I'm saying 
is the will of God comes through the order of God. And this whole thing of in order for a wife to submit, she has to have something to follow. So men, it's when we come into, it's not like I was latent or, or resisting God. It wasn't time yet. But the pattern of God is that the husband's got to lead, and for him to lead, he's got to see the vision. And it was when I saw the vision that now I had the ability to lead my family into this will of God, which for us was South Africa, whereas before I would have been trying to do and accommodate what Minda was feeling was the plan of God for our lives. Wives will sometimes pick up on what the will of God is for the family before the husband does. And to walk that journey where you still keep yourself in account or in submission to your husband and let him be the one to lead, it's, it's an it's a, it's a interesting tightrope to walk where you're not trying to manipulate, but you are trying to encourage. Am I making sense? So here are some things. I, I, in the origin of the relationship of husbands and wives that we see in, in Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says that Eve was created to be a help meet for her husband. And if you look at that translation of that Hebrew word that's translated as help meet, we don't use that word today, right? You don't say, you know, maybe in church circles you do, but like ordinary people, you don't say, hey, it's a, you know, I need a help meet. So what does that even mean? It actually means help against. It does, help meet would be an accurate translation, help against. In other words, if this is the husband and naturally he leans this way, God created a wife to rectify it so that together they're, they hold each other up. It's not one's better than the other, it's that without the wife, the husband does this number. You know what I'm saying? It's a help against to, to rectify, to, to complete the picture. And so the woman has something that the man needs. This is not just about submit to me, wife. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the boss around here. You need to submit to me. This is about husband as a role to lead, laying down his life as Christ gave his, his life up for the church, laying down his life, and in that context, then he can lead because he's not leading for himself. He's leading for Jesus and for the sake of the family that he's been called to lead. And in that place, the wife takes her place, but she has something to bring to the picture. But instead of telling the husband what he needs to do to come and to submit and to yield thoughts, to yield your concerns, to yield what you're sensing, Minda does this so spectacularly so many times, lets me know things that are concerning her, lets me know things that are you know, maybe a perspective that she can sense that I'm not seeing, and it helps me, but it helps me to lead, not to be led by her. It's an issue ultimately, leadership is ultimately an issue of responsibility. The husband has to take the responsibility, not just the authority. Authority in the kingdom operates on responsibility. Wives, I would just say this, wives or future wives, let's be helpful into this picture and don't do something that's called nagging. You guys know what nagging is? You don't do You never do this. You should do this. They're real words, not just. Don't nag. And so listen to this. Proverbs 21.9 and Proverbs 25.4 says this. And I like to point that out. It says the verbatim, the exact same thing about not nagging twice in the book of Proverbs. Why? It's that important. The author of Proverbs, presumably maybe Solomon at this stage, was saying it and didn't know if you caught it the first time, so he wrote it again. And here's what it says. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Quarrelsome, that word, would, would other ways of translating it would be contentious or strifeful. It is better to live outside of the place that you share with her. Be on the structure somehow, but don't go in there with her because it, it's doing no good for anybody. Choose your wife carefully, men. Proverbs 27.15 goes on to say this, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. What is a leaky roof in a rainstorm? It's uncomfortable, right? It's also a feeling of being violated. The roof is supposed to protect you from something, and when the rain comes through the roof, it's like your role is not 
working, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, we got water coming in, you're a roof, you're not supposed to be bringing water in or allowing water to come in, you feel violated. And it also speaks of a key function going wrong. So women, when you get married, don't nag. However, the nagging oftentimes comes from stuff that is legitimate, stuff that's not happening, stuff that the husband needs to know about, rather than nagging, which is getting your selfish interest fixed for your sake now, rather come and serve by letting him know and encouraging him towards that. And, and you know, if he's, if he's not helping what he needs to be doing, maybe let him know that you, that doesn't make you feel very happy. I'm not saying you can't express your feelings or anything, but I'm just saying have the heart to help rather than to beat down. We good? All right, husbands, your turn. Husbands and future husbands, verse 25. As Minda said, this is the perfect foil here. I'm sorry, the, the reason, Minda, that it, the foil was already in verses 22 through 24 is it says, for the husband is the head of the wife. He's the domineering one, right? He's the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. And savior speaks of laying down your life for the benefit of that which you have been put in charge of. That's the foil. So verse 25, to continue that foil, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he himself, uh, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. First thing that I just want to point out, a couple quick points. First thing is the husband leads with vision. Now, that's not manufactured by man. That's not something that you can just say, okay, I've got, in order to lead, I've got to have a vision, so what's my vision? That's not the way that works. If you look with me in verses 26 through 27, we see that Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her, but in verse 26, it starts speaking of the vision that Christ had towards his body, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church. Jesus, when he went to the cross, already had a vision of what he saw the church becoming. Am I right? And for that sake, for the, for the joy of seeing that picture fulfilled, he went to a cross and laid down everything so that she could become what she was called to be. And in the exact same way, a husband who takes his place doesn't just like manage the affairs of the, of the you know, just kind of let's survive and get through life and just manage the affairs of the family. He's leading, just like Jesus had a vision, he's leading his family with a vision. Now the thing is, where does vision come from? How did Jesus have this vision of a radiant church? He knew his father. He had intimacy with God. He had received revelation. He saw something. He saw, a, he didn't just dream this. He had a vision from God, and for that purpose he, he led. He did what he did. In other words, the basis for godly leadership of a family that a husband does, it comes from intimacy with God. How are you going to know what God is leading you into? You're going to know it by being with him. And what God is leading me into is what he's leading my wife and my boys into. And they will not be able to follow Jesus in me until I'm following Jesus through intimacy first step of leadership in anything in the kingdom, but especially in, in the marriage context, you become a follower before you expect your wife to be your follower. And when we say vision, I mean stuff like God put in my heart to move to South Africa. I didn't know all I knew we would lead a church. I didn't know much beyond that. South Africa, we'd lead a church. That's it. But I knew that to be the will of God. And 
having that, I was able to lead my family through nine years of walking that out, step by step. It's the what of the will of God and the ways of the will of God. The more I know what he's calling us into and the more I know how we're to walk it out. We walk it out in submission. We walk it out by within relationships in a church context. We walk it out by honoring God. We walk it out by praying together. Do you follow what I'm saying? The ways of God, the what and the how, both of those come from me being a disciple of Jesus. The more I know of what he's called me to do and how he's called me to do it, the more I can lead my family into where I myself am going. Leadership is simply this. It's bringing others into where you've been and where you're going. It says this in verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Listen to this. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Feeding and caring. So how then do husbands feed and care for what does that look like? That looks like, feet, that looks like giving to that which you are responsible, the people that you're responsible for, giving them what you, they need in order to walk out where they're going. Isn't that what we do with our natural bodies? Like I feed myself, hopefully not just to indulge in gluttonous, I mean, I've done that before, just toss food into my mouth just because it tastes good. But hopefully the higher purpose is that I'm giving nourishment to my body so that it can go and do what it's supposed to do while it's here on this earth, right? That's a purpose of feeding and caring for my body, going to the gym, exercising. Why do I do that? To look buff? No, obviously I'm a miserable failure. I go to the gym in order to have a healthy body so that I can extend my call in this earth and be as much of a blessing in my lifetime as I possibly can and not die of prematurely of some cardiac arrest or whatever the case may be. You follow what I'm saying? Feeding care for your own body in the same way a husband cares for his wife, giving her that which she needs to walk out the call. And how do you have the sustenance to give her what she needs? Well, I mean, working and providing and, and those kinds of things is one thing. Knowing Jesus. What Jesus is encouraging you with, what he's speaking to you, what you're seeing, how he's directing you, you then give that to your wife. And I guarantee you, if you found the wife that God has for you, she will appreciate you having direction from God. It's a safe place for her and the, and the kids. It creates an atmosphere for them to be healthy. And when you, when you have a vision, you, something comes up out of you of strength and nobility that you don't walk in without a vision in a higher purpose. It's when a man is called to a higher calling, a higher purpose, something comes up of righteousness and, and so on and so forth out of him that won't happen until you are walking in God's purpose for you. So some questions I would say to husbands or future husbands, does your leadership and authority lead your wife into God's interest for her or for what you want from her. Because if it's you exacting out of your wife what you want, that is not much of a picture of Jesus. And by the way, when we say husbands and wives, I'm talking about marriage. Covenant, commitment, tying a knot till death do us part. Make that clear. I'm not talking about the woman who happens to be sleeping in the same bed as you. Does your leadership of that woman lead your wife into God's interests for you, for, for her or yours? And another question to ask ourselves, is my family handcuffed to my need to prove myself? The insecurity inside of many men, many men, is that you've got to go do this thing, I got a career, and got to go up, make these accomplishments, and we drag our wife along into it because of this idea that if I just do this, then I am somebody, rather than being comfortable and I am a child of God, I've got nothing to prove. All I am responsible to do is to follow my king into whatever he's leading me into. I already am valuable. I already am significant because of him. So husbands, let's not drag and need to be this 
position or title or income or whatever. Let's follow the king. How did Jesus lead? We'll just close, close with this. John 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very, very, very truly, I tell you, the son, of, excuse me, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Jesus' form of leadership was simply following his father. And that applies, obviously, to wives as well as husbands, by the way. Husbands can't lead their wives unless they're being led by Jesus. I mean, they can, but they can't do it in the way that Jesus wants. But the context isn't that wives follow Jesus by following their husband, as if, like, he becomes, like, an intermediary. The wife has a very important relationship on her own with God. Jesus died so that all of us have access. Let me make that clear. And your submission to your husband is you submit to him as long as you can until it becomes a sin. If if your husband is saying, let's kill our children because they're becoming a nuisance, maybe don't submit to him. But if your husband is saying, you know, let's, I feel like we, I don't know, need to buy the red car and not the blue car, whatever. That's a horrible example, but I hope you can understand what I'm trying to say. We all know that the wife ends up picking the color of the car. So (laughs) what I'm saying is that that we all follow Jesus, and Jesus led by only doing what he sees his father doing. So husbands perhaps ask, ask this question, what is God saying to me? And by that, what is he saying to my family? Whatever he's saying to me, that's what he's leading our family into. And another question to ask ourselves is, are, are my wife and my kids following Jesus by following me? That's a, that's a question. And anyone who has any leadership in here, in the kingdom sense, are people following Jesus by following me? How do I know that they are? I know if I am following Jesus. To the degree I'm hearing him, that I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at his feet to hear him, I'm looking into his scriptures, I'm seeking his face to find his leadership for me, to that same degree, the way I'm leading is simply following Jesus. How about we respond to that? Let's close. And let's, let's respond to Jesus in this. Now, I know that these things may seem kind of almost basic and almost uh, simple, but I assure you this. This world does not live by the way that I just described. And there are constant bombarding thoughts and pressures from this world to be something other than what we just described. And so, men, I would just uh, encourage you in this moment to respond by making sure you are accountable in the church. Be a man by being accountable. And wives, or even future wives, submit yourselves to your husbands or prepare yourself to find a man that you can actually submit yourself to who will honor Jesus and lead you well. And for anybody, I think we can all pray that God renews our mind concerning marriage, that in this church, God would establish strong, healthy families. So-